excited to introduce to you one of my friends. Many of you guys know Bernie Blaukamp, but uh, I've known him for over 35 years. Bernie's always been a blessing in my life. He's just a great friend. And please welcome him as he comes to share the word with us this morning. Very cool. Well, Isaac, maybe this thing's on. Are we on? Can you hear me? All right. I was excited when Tom asked me to share because um, I've been coming back for about six weeks now. And uh, I led this ministry years and years ago. What was it, 15 years ago, probably? Eight, 12 years ago? Something like that. Um, many years ago, I led this, and then different people led it since then. And then Tom took it over what, eight years ago, somewhere around there. And um, so it's, it's, this isn't unusual for me, but it's been a while since I drove the men's pulpit, you know. So if it shakes, it's just because, uh, you know, hey, it's something uh, that I don't do every week. But it's all good. You know, when he asked me, I said, man, that's the week right after Father's Day. So I already know what I'm going to talk about. And um, pastor's message last Sunday was great. It was amazing. Today, I want to talk to you about... To, to be a dad and not a dud. Um, that's what we're going to talk about today. Because, you know, just fathering children doesn't make you a dad. It makes you a sperm donor. Okay, that's all it is. And I can say that here because you're all guys. Um, but being a dad requires much more than that. And I look around and I see a lot of gray hair like me. And I am um, basically... The, the hard part of me being a dad is over. My youngest is 19. He's uh, 19 and a half. He loves Jesus with all his heart, and he's, it's Jared. And anybody who knows Jared knows that Jesus uh, is the center of Jared's life, and all my boys, they love Jesus. So the hardest part of my being a dad is actually over, but yet now I'm a grandpa, and it starts all over again. So all you guys with gray hair and say, you're looking at me, look, looking at me going, okay, well, what are you talking to me about being a dad? My kids are all grown. Well, number one, you're still a dad because you're a dad. That's a life assignment, right? Because even though your kids might be 35 or 40 or whatever they are, they're still your kids and you're still their dad, right? And now you have another generation called grandkids. <clears throat> and there's nothing like being a grandpa, I loved, I loved, 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 loved being a dad. Being a dad was the best thing. I think I was designed by God to be a dad because the second I became a dad, I said, this is awesome. And I had these five sons that I could just uh, pour into and play games with and act like a little kid with my boys. And I got away with acting like a little boy because I was with my little boys, right? Y'all ever played with your sons and you're having more fun than they are? I, I play sometimes. We, we Andrew looks at me and he goes, uh-huh. <laughs> That's my son, one of them. And, uh, but being a dad is just an amazing thing because you get to be uh, a superhero to your kids until they're about seven and they realize that you can't really fly. You know, you get to be a superhero until they realize that you really can't do anything. But at first, they think you are omniscient. They think you know everything, right? And they think you are all powerful. And they think you're everywhere. Well, they think mom's everywhere. They think dad, that mom tells dad everything. But 
But for, they're pretty sure that you're all powerful and all knowing, you know, even more so than Google now. But they're sure that you're all powerful. That's for sure, because you can take them and, and just, you know, pick them up and fly them like an airplane and do all that. And then they get to be about eight and they start seeing you aren't quite as powerful as Superman or you ain't quite so powerful as Iron Man or whoever it is that's their new superhero. And so you go through this transition and you have to go from being um, their God representative, really, to really being their mentor and their you walking with them and teaching them in the ways of the Lord. So today, I'm, I'm not going to belabor the point of how important fathers are, because fathers, I think we all understand the, the role of being a father is irreplaceable. But there was, I'm just going to cite a couple a couple of uh, government studies. The Department of Health and Human Services in 2006, they, they put out a study. They, who knows how many hundred thousand dollars they spent because it's the government. But they came to the conclusion that we all knew before they started, right? So let's spend a quarter million dollars to tell us something we already know. That's called a government study, Okay. The significant influence of fathers. And it says the number one thing that anybody can do to help the development of their children is have a positive, loving relationship with the children's mother. It's absolutely the number. This is a government study. The number one thing you can do is have a positive, present, loving relationship with the children's mother. It's the number one thing you can do for the healthy development of a child is number one, be there. Number two, love their mother and, and have a positive relationship with their mother. That's the number one thing. Education outcomes improve in the presence of a loving father. So education outcomes improve. Behavioral issues decrease in the presence of a father. Confidence, Infant, infants who receive high levels of affection from their father have documented lower incidences of misbehavior and higher test scores later in life. This is a government study. I'm not, this is not my opinion. So if you disagree and you're mad, be mad at the study for the impact of fathers because that's who that's from. It's just what the study says. There's a strong... There's a strong correlation between the presence of a loving father in the home, a loving father in the presence of a child that, be, that improves their likelihood to do well in school, decreases the likelihood of dep dis depression and disruptive behavior. It actually, one, one just flat out comment in there, it says, it decreases the likelihood that a elementary student will lie if they're, they just did these studies. They said it decreases their likelihood. Having, just having daddy around changes all that. Now, so, well, why are you telling me all this? Because it's really important that you be there. It's really important, and it makes a huge difference in a child's life. The positive relationship with the mother is the number one thing. The next thing is spending time Playing and having fun is incredibly important. Now, you might not think, oh, I need to just study the Bible with them. Well, you do need to study the Bible, but you also need to play trucks with them or play baseball with them or whatever they like to do, 
do that with them too because it's important that you make that connection, you make that bond with them. We provide, as fathers and grandfathers, we provide an example of godly masculinity that is necessary for them to grow and to become the man that they're supposed to be with, with, for little boys. We provide them an example of someone that when they're wrong, they admit they're wrong, right? When they're right, they don't lord it over the other person. They're good winners and they're good losers. See, we model life before our children and grandchildren. We show them how to live life. So being a model is, is, is something that's so important of what we do. We treat our little daughters how to be, we train them how to be treated so that when some knucklehead shows up and treats them poorly, they don't put up with it, right? That, so we treat them in a way that when someone treats them less than the way we have treated them, they look at that guy and go, you're a loser, get out of here. Don't treat me like that. I remember my, I, I have a niece who's like, she's 40 by now, but when she was a little tiny girl, I remember my brother-in-law, and this was way before I had kids, <clears throat> but when she was a little tiny girl, I always called her cute stuff, and her dad was always in her life. He was always taking her on dates, and she grew up to be this beautiful six-foot-tall blonde girl who was incredibly smart. She became an aeronautical engineer, and she never had a boyfriend because all the boys were intimidated because she was so tall, so beautiful, and so smart and wouldn't put up with no funny business from nobody. Why? Because her daddy treated her like a queen and she finally met a very godly young man and they're now married for 20 years and they're, or 18 years and they have a couple of children and she's in the U.S. Navy, works in, as an aeronautical engineer and she's married to a wonderful godly man. But see, my brother-in-law put in her a confidence because, he, because she knew this is how I need to be treated because that's the way my daddy treated me. What, an, what a great example of fatherhood to a young woman because she was able to resist all the, the pressures and all the things that are coming at everyone. She was able to do it. We provide that model of masculinity. We provide appropriate discipline a guide to the outside world, teaching them things. Now, <clears throat> my dad didn't teach me a lot, but he taught me a few things. But the one thing he taught me was when you borrow something from somebody, make sure it's clean and full of gas when you bring it back, even if it was empty when you got it, okay? He, he, he told me that when you borrow something from somebody and they're nice enough to let you use it, darn it, clean it up. I don't care if it was dirty when you got it. Clean it up. Fill it with gas and make sure it's in better shape when you return it than when you got it. Because don't you be a freeloader. I mean, he, he told me that all the time. If he told it to me once, he told me a hundred times. But see, that's a good principle to follow. Because you know what? If you do that, you know what happens? Next time you ask, they say, absolutely, you can use my truck. It needs to be washed anyway. Because they know you're going to wash it, Right? And, you know, in my, in my past, we've had people let us use their cottages on the lake and stuff. And every time we use the cottage, I had one guy that say, hey, you need to use my cottage. It's getting really dirty. 
Because every time we used their cottage, I would weed whip everything around the grass, around the lake. I'd weed whip every. He'd never weed whip. He just mowed. He said, that's a cottage. I ain't going to do that. So I'd get his weed whipper out, and I'd weed whip everything, make everything look like all perfect. My wife would clean the house. We'd clean the fridge. We'd clean everything. They'd come back and say, hey, you can come back in three weeks. Because why? Because my dad taught us something that's a great life skill and it's a great witness. But my dad taught us that. He taught us how to be good stewards and to treat other people's stuff well. Treat it better than even than you treat your own stuff. And that's just something that's modeling an, uh, a guide to the outside world. You're always going to be invited back if you're a blessing every time you're there. You know, that's the, that's the bottom line. And then we protect and provide, provide a safe place, and we, we're purposeful in what we do. We follow our own rules. That's another thing that when we have a rule, we follow our own rules. We don't break our own rules. If we value being on time, we're on time. We're not late all the time when we tell them to be on time. There's not a double standard. Whatever's true for them is also true for me. I hold myself to the same principles that we hold our children to. And I would say that is a really important part of being a dad or even a grandfather is you, you hold yourself accountable to the same set of rules or standards of conduct that you have for everyone else. We live by the same set of rules. There's not one rule for dad and the rest of the rules for everybody else. We have one set of rules and we all live by those rules because otherwise they get kind of, they look at you sideways and go, I see how it is you know, double standards. And then the, one of the biggest things is admit when you're wrong. Admit it when you're wrong. I remember when one of my, my youngest son, he did something and he caught me at a bad moment and I barked at him. I, and I know nobody in here has ever barked at anybody, but I barked at him. I, I, you know, and he was like, and if you know my younger son, he's real tender. And I barked at him. Then I felt just awful because I just yelled at the sweetest little kid in the world. And he's like four or not. He was probably 10 at the time, I guess. But I yelled at him and it was, it wasn't his fault. It was something else. And as it always is, you're, you're frustrated about something else and somebody interrupts you and you bark at him and it has nothing to do with them. Right. And so I went to him right away and I said, bud, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have talked to you like that. He goes, it's okay. And I, that's when we had a teaching moment. I said, no, it's not okay. It's not okay for people to talk to you that way. It's certainly not okay for your father to talk to you that way. And I was wrong. So I don't need you to ever say it's okay for people to treat you like this. What I need you to do is I need you to say, Daddy, I forgive you because I was wrong. Please forgive me. So I, all, I don't want you to say it's okay. I don't want you to say it's okay for people to treat you with disrespect and yell at you. It's not okay. But what you can do is you can say, I forgive you, because that's the proper response. And so that set him in a place that was a teaching moment because I was wrong. And I confessed, and I said to him, please forgive me. I was wrong. He goes, Daddy, it's okay. It's not okay. It really isn't okay. It's I forgive you because that's the proper response. Not that we have to have revenge, not that we have to have all that, but it's, it's not okay for people, to treat us, for, for people to treat us poorly and it's not okay for us to treat others poorly. It's, we're, we, we've got to have a higher standard for ourselves and a higher standard for 
the way that we treat others. So what is, what is, a, what is a father, grandfather's role? We love redemptively. We love redemptively, which means when someone is, is fallen off the wagon, when someone has done the same foolish thing they've done a hundred times before, when they do it again, we reach out again. And we love, and we love redemptively. We reach down into the pit and we pull them out of the pit. Why? Because we love redemptively. Because that's the way God loves us. We love sacrificially. We get up early when we don't want to get up early. We stay up late when they need to talk. We do whatever it is that needs to be done. Why? Because we're dad. And, we, and that's what we do. We, we help when they need help. When they're moving, we're moving. This, this past year, I, I think I, I spent seven or eight nights in a row helping my, two of my sons move. You know, two nights with that one, then two nights with that one, then lifting heavy stuff and couldn't barely get out of bed because I'm old, and <laughs> helping them fix their house and helping them paint and helping them do this and helping them do that and helping them move and lifting beds and lifting those awful large heavy dressers and all that stuff. Why? Because that's what we do, because we're dead. That's what we do. And that's loving sacrificially. And then we love unconditionally. We don't love them when they're only at their best. We love them when they're at their worst. We love them when they don't feel like they're lovable. We love them when they, when they don't love themselves. It's probably one of the most important things you can do is when your child or grandchild doesn't feel worthy of your love, when they've done something that's awful, when they're doing something that's foolish, when they're doing something that makes you want to crawl in a hole, slap your, fore, slap your palm on your forehead, and saying, what were you thinking? Right? Anybody ever done that? That's when we love them. Because that's what dads do. We don't just love them when they're perfect. We don't just love them when they do stuff that we like or, or when we can be proud of them or when we'd like to have everybody know, that's my son, right? That's my boy. That's my daughter, right? But we love them when they do stuff where you wouldn't necessarily stand up and say, that's my boy. But yet you can still say, that's my boy. Even when they do stuff that might be embarrassing. Because we have a father who accepts us. Acceptance is the number one thing that we need in our lives. Am I accepted? Does, does God accept me? So we provide a place of acceptance, but even if you haven't had a father, even if you didn't have a father that accepted you, maybe you have a father that wasn't there. He couldn't accept you. He wasn't there. It's pretty hard to accept you when you're not there. My dad's dad died when he was just under three. My dad never had a dad, but yet my dad was the most wonderful dad anybody could ever have. I say, how could you I said to him when I was a dad, I said, how'd you learn how to be a dad? 
He goes, the Bible? He goes, I never had a dad. So I had to figure out how to be a dad from reading and asking God to help me. And it works. He was a wonderful dad. Acceptance, Ephesians 1, 6, says that we are accepted in the beloved. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and he made us accepted in the beloved. Approved. It says, beloved, fear not. I have called you. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. That's what God says about you. You are mine. You are mine. You're approved. Affection. Affection. He, would, he grants unto us, he says, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Romans 5, 6, while we were still sinners, while we were still without strength, <clears throat> Christ died for the ungodly. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness? No. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Association. Do I belong? That's one of the big things that kids need. Where do I fit? Where do I belong? And you know what? Here's the, the bottom line. It doesn't matter if you fit with the in crowd at school. It doesn't matter if you fit with the cool kids or the jocks or the, or the geeks or the whatever they call them now. It doesn't matter because you know what? You fit with God. And that's what we always tried to communicate to our kids is that it doesn't matter if kids at school think you're all that. It doesn't matter. And, and yeah, it hurts if you get rejected. It hurts when you get left out. But you know what? You always have a place here. You always have a place with us. You're part of our family. We love you. We're proud of you. We're glad to put our name on you. That's, that's the other thing is that God is not ashamed or not afraid to put his name on you. He says, you are mine. Child, you are mine. You're my boy. You're my boy. I see how Ricky holds his little son. Now, he'll break your heart someday, but today... He's, he's, he's this little guy that he still thinks you're like a giant, right? But, you know, you, you look at that and you say, he's my boy. He's my girl. He's, that's the association. God is not afraid to call you his son. This past week, I was in Colorado Springs with Andrew Womack. And, and while I was there, tell you a little side story quick. And if somebody could get me just a little glass of water, it would be a blessing if somebody could do that. Thank you. But I was in, in Colorado, and I was at this conference, and I kept seeing this, this young guy go by and got, you know how sometimes like a shaft of light comes out of heaven and goes, and he highlights that person. Well, this guy, the first day I was there, thank you. Senior, he gives a prophet in the name, a cup of water in the name of the prophet. There you go. Too bad I'm not a prophet. Sorry, <laughs> bud. <laughs> but so God kept highlighting this kid to me, and he kept like like, and then 
two days later, and there's like 500 people there. But he, he highlighted that kid. The next thing you know, he's sitting one row up and two people over. And there he is again. And then the, the next session, I moved to an entirely different session. There he is right there. I'm like, and there he's over there. And I'm like, what's going on? Am I supposed to tell this kid something? What's going on? I'm just asking, praying. And I'm there for three days. The third day, we're getting ready to leave, going into our last session. And I got this burden on my heart to talk to this kid. Don't know who he is. Don't know his name. Don't know anything. And I said, Lord... If, I'm, if you have a word for this kid and I'm supposed to say something, just put him right in front of me. I, I'll do it, but you know, I'm not going to go looking for him. Uh, you know, put him here if that's what I'm... So I'm just standing there. I'm standing out in the middle of this thronging of people, 500 people, and standing there. And I look up and he's standing this close away, looking right at me. And I'm like, okay, that's my answer. So I walk up to him <clears throat> and I said... I'm not weird, and I'm not a psychopath, and I'm not creeping on you, but the Lord has highlighted you to me, and I believe he wants to say something to you, but unfortunately, I don't know what that is yet, because God hadn't showed me what he wanted to tell him yet. I said, if this freaks you out and you want me to go away, I'll go away, because this guy's like 30, you know, so he's not a child. He's like 30. But he's a child to me because I have kids older than that. But anyway, so he goes, oh, no, that doesn't freak me out at all. I said, just tell me your name and a little bit about yourself. So he says, hey, my name's so-and-so. And he starts telling me all the, he gives me a highlight reel of his life, right? That's what you do. It's the 90-second, I'm awesome, I don't have any problems. I'm pretty much, you know, the fourth person of the Trinity, and God is good. <laughs> That's what I heard from him. And I'm like... All right, cool. All right, well, then while he's talking, God gives me the word, and I said to him, I said, God told me that he's proud to have you as a son. And he's proud of you, but he's also proud to have you as his son. He looks at me and he goes, <laughs> he starts just weeping uncontrollably. And I'm, I'm like, okay. Um, so he literally grabs a hold of me, grabs my neck and starts sobbing for like eight minutes. I mean, I was like, it was uncomfortable after about five. I'm like, okay, let go. Please let go. How about let go now? You know? And he just kept on like sobbing and holding on to me. And I said, okay. I said, I think that was God. And he goes, I never knew my dad. And I can't even talk about it, but he says, I just got saved three months ago. Had a really awful life. Had a couple of people in my life that spoke life to me, but I never had a dad. He says, and I kept saying, how come nobody is proud of me? And God saying, came to him and said, I'm, I'm proud to be your dad. He says, I never knew God was proud of me. I never knew God was proud of me. And it changed his life. He looked at me and he goes, oh, I've been putting up with this my whole life. God is proud of me. I said, that's not depending on what you do, bud. 
He's proud of you because you're his. Not because of what you do, but because you're his. It's not about what we do, how many people we win to the Lord, the treadmill. I got a witness to 18 people today. Nothing like that. Because you're his, he's proud of you. And he's proud of each and every one of you today. He's proud of you. Not because of what you do. It's called unconditional father love. He's proud of you. He's proud to to call you his own. He says, child, you are mine. You're mine. It's identity. You're mine. You belong to me. And I'm proud to be associated with you. Child, you are mine. That identity, that that place of saying, God, you're proud of me, is an amazing place. I've had numerous experiences with God alone and where he said, man, I'm so proud of you. And I'm always a rack afterwards. But it'll almost always be after I did something stupid. And I said, how can you be proud of me? I did something stupid back there. He goes, I know, so what? I'm still proud of you. And I go, but you shouldn't be, because I'm an idiot. But I am, he says, because you're not an idiot. You do things like idiots do, but you're not an idiot. To the world, you might seem like an idiot, but to me, you're my son. And that's a huge thing that we can give the next generation. Grandpas, I mean, there's a lot of grandpas in here. Who all in here is a grandpa? I'm a grandpa. Just three times I'm a grandpa, right? Grandpas are awesome. And and I'm not talking about myself, but in the general, the office of grandpa is like the best job in the world because you get to give unconditional love all the time. And they do, like my granddaughter will scream and act kind of goofy and, and, and be unreasonable because she's three. But you know what? We ask, oh, come on, that ain't you, come here. And we just hug her and love her. And then she, next thing you know, she's awesome. She's acting awesome again. But, but we get to give unconditional love. And we get to act just like God and love, not based on performance, not based on anything other than the fact that we love you and that's all it's based on. It's not based on anything you do. It's based on what I've decided to do. And that's called unconditional love. So grandpas, today you are the agents of unconditional love to everyone. Not only your grandchildren, but your, but your children and your wife also. And to anybody that God puts across your path. So when God has that beam of light come down and highlight somebody for you and get, allows you to give that word that makes somebody hug you for an uncomfortably long period of time, that's okay. You can give unconditional love because God the Father has unconditional love. It says, Romans 5, 5, that the love of God has been shown, shown into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So his unconditional love has been shed abroad or placed within our hearts. Why? So we can then shed it upon other people and give it to other people as we go. So you can be a dad, not a dud, by loving what? Loving, first of all, redemptively, sacrificially, and unconditionally. 
and that's how we love. And when we do that, you become a dad, you become a papa, you become a grandpa, or whatever it is your kids call you, daddy or whoever it is, whatever language you, you use for that title. But the bottom line is God wants to work through us. But he, in order to work through us, we have to have that confidence ourselves and know that God is proud to have you as his son. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had here. We thank you, Father, that by your spirit, that you would speak to each and every one of us, that we would have the revelation that you would speak to us, that we'd hear, that we'd hear your voice. And that, Father, that we would understand and have a revelation that you are proud of us and that you're proud to have us as your son. You're, you're proud to be associated with us, that there's no shame, and that our behavior is completely separate from who we are to you. That, Father, you love us, you're proud of us, and you're proud to be our dad. Thank you for helping us all to be amazing grandpas, amazing dads, amazing brothers in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for bringing people across our path that need a touch from you and help us to be sensitive and courageous to step out and to touch those that you bring across our path today. In Jesus' name.